Hey, it's Brandon. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Since year 2000, Zenium has been supporting small and medium-sized organizations for their HR strategy, payroll processing, benefits, compensation planning and design, training and development, and so much more. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Okay, this episode was a really fun one. I had a conversation with Brian Adams and Charlotte Marshall, and we talked about their book, Give and Get Employer Branding, Repel the Many and Compel the Few with Impact, Purpose, and Belonging. They've just got some great ideas about employer branding. They say with traditional employer branding, most organizations are doing kind of this one-way value exchange where they're talking about how awesome they are and it's so good to work here, whereas you know, with good employer branding, we should actually be doing a good job repelling people that wouldn't fit. So ones that don't align with our mission, our purpose, values, all of those sort of things. So good employer branding will do just as good a job as attracting as it does in repelling. You're going to enjoy this episode. I know I did. There's a lot of good tactical takeaways that you will get by the time you're finished with this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Instagram. And uh, my email address is in the show notes if you want to contact me that way as well. Can't wait to hear what you think about the episode and how you're using this podcast for your development. Enjoy the conversation with Charlotte and Brian. Talk to you next week. Hey, Brian, Charlotte, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Brandon. Oh, pleasure. So you guys wrote a book, Give and Get, Employer Branding, Repel the Many, and Compel the Few with Impact, Purpose, and Belonging. And I want to dive into this book. But first, what I thought would be helpful before we get too deep, please define what employer branding is for those that may not understand it. And then the employer value proposition, because we're going to talk about that a lot too. So... um Employer brand is essentially um, your reputation as an employer. You know, it's it's how people describe you um, and what it's like to to work for your organization. You know, and typically that that's about the sentiment of the employee experience and what you stand for from a cultural perspective. And EVP, employee value proposition, is essentially how you position the employee experience in terms of what you need, demand, want, and expect of somebody in return for what they can expect to get in terms of salary and um, benefits and perks and strengths and and opportunities of of a a workplace. You said early on in the book that the best use of the employer employee value proposition is to repel talent, which I think is really counter to how most people (laughs) think about this. Why do you suggest doing it that way? If you think about it, recruitment marketing is there to, you know, if you need more people to apply for jobs, you can turn the dials of marketing up. That's, you know, that's fine. But employer brand really is the opportunity to be confident and clear and concise about who you are as an employer. And really, the the premise is you have to be comfortable and confident with the fact that your workplace isn't for everybody. 
Um, you know, so rather than think of it as a magnet to attract, it's more like a smart filter to give people the information they need to make more informed and better educated decisions as to whether there's a, a good match, whether somebody will find what they're looking for um, when they work for you. And happy people make happy organizations. I have to say from experience, this is the sixth employer brand that I have brought into the world. And the first four followed that conventional approach. And it was wanting to become known as a great place for work and putting out messages that would put us on the map. I've worked for a lot of really large companies that no one's ever heard of. It's very similar to working for a small startup or a small company because you have the same levels of awareness in the market. And when I launched those first four brands, they were successful in terms of attracting more talent to our brands, but they actually overwhelmed our funnels. We had successfully seduced candidates with the sizzle of why we were so great to work. Everybody wanted to work there and a lot of them were unqualified. So my recruiting teams are calling in a panic, asking for AI and all sorts of other things to help sift through the apps coming in. And majority of those companies, 70 plus percent of the applications coming in were going unviewed in the ETS because of the volume. So I knew there had to be a better way to both increase the attractiveness of your organization, but also increasing the quality of application coming in. They didn't have to be mutually exclusive. And that's when I met Brian and he taught me the give and get. And it has fundamentally changed the way I'll approach my work. So the traditional employer branding methodology would be around attraction. Is that that's pretty much what you're saying, I believe. And then your model is like, could you outline what what your model is in comparison to the traditional model? Because I think that if people kind of understand or see it, there's visuals in the book about how the model looks. But I think if you articulate it, I think that's going to be really helpful for this conversation. Yeah, it's super easy. The traditional model is a one-way value exchange. Here's what we offer you in exchange for working here. Here's our shiny perks, benefits, and opportunities you can expect to receive, period. Our model is a two-way value exchange. Here's what we expect of you in order to receive these things. So it's a two-way value exchange, the give and the get. So you can very quickly make a decision if you're willing to give that part of yourself to this company in order to get what's being offered. You made a really good point in talking about Glassdoor and why people spend a lot of time on Glassdoor before applying for a position. And I thought that was it was a really good point because you're saying basically with the traditional employer branding model, there's this level of realness that you're not getting, but they can get it on Glassdoor and websites like it because there are stories and reviews that might really shed some light on what it's really like, what the employee value proposition is really like. Can you elaborate on that point and why it, it's such an important thing for people to understand? Listen, that early conventional way of approaching employer brand, nobody thinks that that's not true and that you can't encounter those things, but it's the positive end of the truth and it's what you're expected to get on your very best day. And we all know that every day is not what it appears to be on Instagram or on your career website or all the <laughs> places where we put our best foot forward. And Brian and I hypothesized that that's why Glassdoor had such a huge exit and so many candidates view it as part of their candidate journey is because they don't believe what you're getting on your career website. So they have to go to the other end and Glassdoor being what you're like to work on your very worst day. And then they kind of piece it together to find out what the, the true authentic experience is, which is somewhere in the middle of those two. Yeah, and the danger is you're not owning the full narrative by leaning into the harsh realities and the challenges that you might find on the not so great days. 
you're missing out on the opportunity to influence and control the narrative and be that brand and that organization that tells the balanced, more authentic version of what it's really like. But the beauty, Brandon, is the real nuggets. Whenever we've worked with, you know, we work with Fortune 500 organizations, global brands, there's no perfect organization. There's no good or bad organization. There's no right or wrong. There's just what it is really like. And people want to answer that question. Have I got what it takes to thrive in that organization? And when they only find strengths, benefits, and opportunities, they can't answer that fundamental question. And the real beauty, the attractiveness, and the gold nuggets lies in the derivative of adversity and the challenges that people find. Because some people look at a challenge and think, whoa, that's way too big for me. That's definitely not a place that I want to work for. Some will look at that challenge and go, well, look at the size of that challenge. I can find real purpose and meaning by taking that on, and they will lean into it, and they will be compelled to, to want to know more. You know, So if you use the, the harsh realities and the adversities of the employee experience that people know are there, you can use it to your advantage. And often it's the way that we find the point of difference, that sort of unique voice um, that stands out and gets you noticed for the right reasons as well. Brian, on that note, you guys talked about the uh, just storytelling in general and the hero's journey uh, for this give and get model. And you brought up the Star Wars and Luke Skywalker as an example. And I, lo- I love that because I'm a total geek. Um, but maybe share why storytelling and that just that hero's journey is really important and how you use that Star Wars ex- example. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, so I mean... First of all, it's well documented that the art of story is you know the best way of putting ideas into the world. It's how to capture somebody you know emotionally and make that connection and leave a lasting lasting impression. It's been proven you know way before our book that storytelling is just so effective from a communications point of view. But the way we use it in the book, well, a number of ways we use it in the book from the Star Wars perspective is we put ourselves in the in the shoes of of Luke Skywalker. Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you how um, Star Wars ends, but, you know, it was in the 70s. So Um, the final climactic scene as uh, Luke Skywalker is uh, hurtling towards that final shot to destroy the Death Star. On one hand, um, he's trying to satisfy an outward motivation, which is to destroy the Death Star, defeat the Empire, save the universe. And that's the sort of the outward motivations that a lot of organizations talk about from what's on offer inside their organization from a compensation point of view and all of the logical types of things that you typically see in an employer brand. But actually, Luke's also trying to satisfy his internal motivation, the more emotional aspect. And in that very one shot, as his finger hovers over the um, control, What he's trying to do there is he's trying to prove to himself, do I have what it takes to be a Jedi? You know, so yeah, there's all of the practical stuff he's trying to prove, but he's trying to prove to himself he has what it takes. And these are the things that we leave out of our narrative and our story when we're building employer brand. And it's one of the most compelling aspects of employer brand that people really want to satisfy for themselves. You also wrote that happiness at work is such a key component to the employer brand. What have you found in in your research about what are the key components are to happiness at work? So first of all, happiness is not pleasure. Pleasure comes and goes. You can get pleasure anywhere. For me, pleasure is victory, which means it's underpinned by some aspect of fulfillment and achievement. 
And what we wrote in the book is we found from all of our research, from Charlotte's experience and my own, there's three main buckets to satisfy, and that is purpose, impact, and belonging. You know, so building on top of those things, now what that sort of translates into, how that can come out from an employer brand perspective, is articulating your culture, um, so how it feels to be inside your organization, um, looking at the citizenship of your organization, so what you believe in, whether your personal purpose can resonate with the purpose of the organization, and that's how you find meaning. And then um, are you a career catalyst? Like, is, is this a good decision for me today? And is it going to lead to good decisions down the line? You know, is my career going to be net positive as a result of being inside of your organization? So those three derivatives are fundamentally key to any employer brand and EVP. That's purpose, impact, and belonging. Are you, where are you documenting those? I mean, it's obviously documented and, and the leaders probably know about it, but like, where are you able to share that with either candidates, employees to make sure it's core to the employer brand? So there's a whole host of ways to articulate those. And this is the beauty of it. Every organization is different, you know, but that can come through in the different initiatives, the values and behaviors all around you the management style and structure, the performance management, career progression, you know, your diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, it's, it manifests itself in a whole host of different ways. And each bucket of purpose, impact, and belonging, we break down in the book all the, all the typical things that, that uh, fall into each category. I'd say for me, we take some care getting into the architecture of your EVP. Each of our pillars, we try to make sure that the pillars that underpin our positioning statements, that there's one that satisfies each of those critical areas and we'll reduce each of those down to a single storyline. And then from a candidate and an associate or employee's perspective, it's storytelling. So I don't care if people associate the pillar name or pillar word with each of those big ideas, but I want to start sharing stories to my candidates and internally to my workforce to reinforce that those values, behaviors, and traits are alive and well. And the beauty from a candidate perspective is if people are reading those stories and they're reading them before they apply, your brand is going to be so much higher because they're applying after being attracted to the heroes in your story. Their values, the behaviors, the way that they work, the challenges that they're overcoming, they should be a better cultural addition and a you know, more tenured associate. Internally, you re-recruit the people that you have and you're championing the behaviors and values that you hold so dear. So it works really well. In both of those audiences. So much of this give and get models about being honest with where you are as an organization, what kind of people you have, what the work is like. Do you encourage employees or employers to document this in some way? Like, is there an exercise that you can take your whole organization through that you might capture the honesty? Because I imagine when you ask somebody, like, how is work like? Like, what are the challenge? Like, are people really honest about that? So there's got to be some sort of methodology around collecting this type of data. So the, first of all, the liberating benefit to this is when you allow somebody to tell the story of what it's really like, including the sort of warts and all, um, you're much more likely to get people coming forward with their stories. But the give and get model isn't just for external attraction. 
It's to appreciate and acknowledge the hard work, the demands, the sacrifices, and the conditions in which people are thriving. And when you do that, people can see themselves and they, they are recognized and acknowledged and appreciated. So they're much more forthcoming with stories that personify that. But it really comes to life when you then drill down to initiatives, like you might have a referral campaign or an engagement campaign or an attraction campaign where you can ask, tell us a time when this pillar has been true in your uh, career with us so far. Or it might be as simple as what are the, the values and traits that you admire in the people around you and why? Or tell us about your worst day and what you learned from it, you know? So there's a whole host of ways of probing and prodding and asking for stories and questions. But I think the basic principle is when it's on a foundation of being able to tell the full story, you know, not just the best day and typical day, but the worst day, it actually elevates the strengths, benefits, and opportunities, and it provides meaning. And it's also the quickest route to find passion and pride inside of an organization because, you know, something that you're proud of, typically you've had to work hard, you've been pushed, you're out of your comfort zone, it's not been a bed of roses to get there. Um, So telling that entire story start to finish is more satisfying for the storyteller and the recipient. Brian, I think this one's going to be for you. How did you come up with the five reasons not to join PH Creative? And where do you use that? It's good. It's vulnerable. It's very vulnerable and honest. Yeah. So actually, the, the idea of coming up with the five reasons was actually Charlotte's idea. But looking inward into PH Creative... Um, <laughs> It wasn't difficult at all, actually. I'm lucky to be surrounded with a team who are only too vocal sometimes about the harsh realities of of pH. And being able to eat our own dog food is really important as well. You know, we've got to sort of walk the walk. And the harsh realities and adversities of an organization doesn't necessarily mean it's negative or something you need to be ashamed of or you want to cover up. A lot of the time, the harsh realities and adversities you should wear as a badge of honor because it gives working at your place some value. You know, like if you join the Navy SEALs and you've got to get through hell week, you know, getting through hell week is a badge of honor. It's not something that people shy away from or don't discuss, you know, so finding our five reasons was very easy. um, And some of them, you know, we're, we're proud of, and that's how we assess whether people can perform and thrive at pH or not. So for a lot of employers, if they're going through this work, they've, determined the pillars, um, they've defined their employee experience, the employee value proposition. How do you activate? I know this is a big question, but how do you start to activate the employer brand, both internally and externally using this model? It's probably the hardest part of the journey because activation is more than just creating a brand book and documenting your pillars and your value propositions and placing it on your internet site or maybe emailing it to your workforce, it has to become part of your experience. And that takes a lot of mobilization and a lot of change management on the touch points internally where it makes sense to infuse your campaign and having teams that can articulate those key messages for an internal audience and reinforcing them through your communication touch points. And then externally, I mean, it's the whole Canada ecosystem. It starts with your career website and then it goes to all of those, what is it, 18 places candidates go before they apply for a job to learn about your company. Really? And it's 
really most profoundly felt once you can mobilize a team of advocates internally that are being the voice of your experience. So it's not a corporate brand pushing, pushing, pushing. It's a well thought out campaign that empowers your workforce to start sharing the reasons that you are meaningful and fulfilling and creating opportunities for the people that are on your team. And once you get that part done, it's like the tipping point and you can just start to see the ripple effect start to occur. Yeah. We always advocate to go back to the start of looking at the success criterion that was set out at the beginning of the employer brand project, seeing what the the business priorities are that you can align with. You know, typically we'll create a toolkit for the head of TA, uh, internal comms, diversity, equity, and inclusion that allow them to face into the immediate priorities that they identified right at the start. You know, so on a, on a tactical level, that's a quite a straightforward thing to accomplish as well. I like the idea of the employer brand cheat sheet for internal use too. What would be on that? So on my cheat sheet, I will have like the five reasons to join. Mm. You want people to start to march to the same beat. So you want everyone sharing the same reasons to believe but in their own words. So giving that elevator speech, you don't want it to sound like, you know, a canned line, but you want people to say like, here's why we're great. We offer X, Y, and Z sharing those same key messages. So that's really important. And just social assets, like tips on what to do, how to activate, whether it's on posting stuff on sites like LinkedIn or your Glassdoor channel or Facebook, Mm -hmm. or even stories to reinforce in your conversations with candidates and hiring managers. Most oftentimes we use our storytelling to pre-handle objections or to reinforce something that we're saying as our true experience here. So if you can start to align, if you know that you get candidates that are always saying the same three things, giving people responses to those objections can be a really valuable use of that cheat sheet too. Another tactical thing I wanted to ask you is about the career page. It's not all created equal. There's a lot of employers that do it really poorly and really well. But in your mind, using this model, what should go on the career page and what kind of assets would you have to make sure it really follows through with what you guys are saying with the give and get model? Yeah, so we've got um, a storytelling formula that we've broken down in the book to, to, um, to follow to make sure that you get that engagement and key information over. But more than anything, if you can get the voice of the employee to reinforce, you know, so this is where it goes from framework and philosophy to real life genuine, authentic stories that can back up what you're saying. At the job page level, you've got the opportunities to tell stories that resonate on a one-to-one basis. So you've got an employer brand and an EVP, uh, which are universal themes. Well, let me tell you a story about if you're sat in my seat right next to me and my team, here's what it feels like, here's what it looks like, here's the demands and expectations, but here's, here's, here's what I put up with, but here's why I stay. And here's why it's great. And here's what it feels like. And here's what it looks like. And if you can paint that picture, if you can very, in a very convincing way, put give everybody the information they need and put them to a decision as to would I thrive there? Is this something that is really, you know, floating my boat? Or is that not quite right for me? Then you've done your job, you know. So it's it's down to a compelling way to put somebody to a meaningful decision. For me, it it all starts with tone of voice. I am so allergic to corporate BS and that typical language that you get when you go to somebody's career website that I'm really calling everyone to, you know, write like a human being first. 
And short and concise is really great, but less you and more, you know, voice of your associates. So some of the things I've done on my career website that continue to amaze me at the engagement levels is the careers blog. I fundamentally believe every company should have a careers blog, pushing out content written by your team or even hiring ghostwriters to, you know, interview and to package those assets up where you're articulating, you know, different aspects of your culture. The careers blog that I'm running at Danaher right now, we put out eight pieces of content per month. They range anywhere from three and a half minutes and a half minutes of hang time, 90% scroll depth. And it's a lot of words. It's in-depth content, but candidates are craving that level of information. They want to know what that team is like and what the challenges are like and hear other people's perspectives of, you know, the roles and the opportunities ahead. Really think that's important. And video testimonials, it's another great way if you don't have a content production team. We use Altrue as a video partner to quickly capture employee-generated content. You guys might have seen the news this morning. Isom's just bought them. They had a huge exit. We're so excited for them. There's a lot of different tools where you can find an Altrue where you can text message your workforce a question. One of the things we put on our site is, what do you wish candidates knew about working here? I text that to a different group of associates on a monthly basis, and I have a constant feed of, here's what I wish people knew. Love that. And it's just great, authentic, easy to pull together content that gets rid of the corporate voice and constantly gives a fresh perspective. Love that. On the content creation front, uh, when you're activating an employer brand, you, you said that content creation falls into three different categories, see, think, and do. What are some examples in each of those areas? So see, think, and do is is a simple taken from a simple sort of marketing funnel. So see is the idea is literally just attraction, and that's where you'll use the essence of your employer brand sort of headline, the more aspirational uh, or characteristic aspects of your brand. So this might be a video or something designed to be spread and taken notice and just get people to see your brand and know of you or know of, of what you stand for as an employer. And that's all it's designed there to do is to get attention and start the idea of affinity, whether people have affinity or not. Think is about consideration. So once somebody knows about you, this is content that now puts you in the context of their career. So you might be uh, somewhere that they consider going to work. So it might be content that is more revealing and more specific about the employee experience, the culture, what you stand for, what you believe in. And starting to talk about the opportunities that are available uh, and the type of uh, person that is ideally matched. And those types of content, you know, you you may have seen (laughs) one of my favorite examples, actually. Have you ever seen that um, Which Disney Character Am I on Facebook? Remember that went around for a long time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You take that concept and we do a lot of that now. We do a lot of Facebook games. We do a lot of quizzes. Um, we do a lot of interactive film and video designed to create an immersive branded experience where people start to decide whether they like the organization or not and leads them down a path um, of decision making, which is what the employer brand and EVP embodies. And of course, that level of engagement and decision making is a, the perfect immersive sort of experience. But it can be super simple as well. It could just be Um, employee stories and if you read it and think wow that's really inspiring that's a place I would love to work and the call to action is come and check out our opportunities then you've done your job and then the do aspect the social recruiting aspect it's the content that is designed to push out and make 
the opportunities explicitly known uh, with explicit calls to action designed to bring qualified traffic into your your job pages to get conversions. You know, so it's the three different gears, three different levels of content based on the intent and the stage of your audience. So I think if employers shifted to this give and get model versus what they're doing right now, which is the traditional employer branding model, it seems like a big investment in time, asset creation, capturing the stories, all that. Is there a lot of time involved early on when you're when you're shifting to something like this? And then, you know, what kind of results could we be looking at long term? The timeline is completely dependent on the client side. So Brian and I, when we worked together for the first time when I was at Magellan Health, we actually set a goal to develop and activate the employee brand in 100 days. And then we ended up delivering it in 78 days, which is probably the fastest Fortune 500 employer brand timeline I've ever heard of. Previously, it took 12 to 18 months at every big brand I had helped. And that timeline really does you a giant disservice because all of the insights and research you've done to create the messaging runs risk of no longer being relevant by the time you get to market. So you really have to learn to move a bit faster. Traditionally, I would say, you know, four to six months is probably a more realistic timeline because it it just depends on the complexity of your organization, how many people you have to survey and talk to and how many geographies and job families need to be reflected. But it is possible to move at pace. Brian and I proved that. Yeah, and it's certainly not doing more. It's just doing slightly different. And, you know, in terms of your question of, results and you know the benefits and all the rest of it the time you save when you have something that is confident and clear and polarizing to an external audience the time you save the recruiters only talking to people who know what they're going to get themselves into you know and educating recruiters so they actually have a better idea of what a good candidate looks like the long-term efficiencies we're seeing and have been seeing for a number of years now the business case writes itself because the an organization's evolving, does this process evolve with it, or is there sort of an expiration date with the work that you're doing on this give and get model? Yeah, so we say an employer brand, the essence, you know, the aspirational headline, that's something that should last you, you know, three to five years, depending on the trajectory of the organization and the just, you know, the general sort of pace in which organizations organically evolve. But the EVP is your shop window, and that really does need to reflect the reality of today at all times. You know, so you know, a, a light refresh every twelve months is is what we recommend. But that doesn't have to be heavy duty, and it, it's not anything that needs to you know blow up the work that you've done. It's more of a that is more of an evolution and maintaining that the proposition is is accurate. And there's always an opportunity to find newer versions of the stories that back up and reinforce. Um, the, the give and get, uh, you know, there's always an opportunity to collect more stories. And we advocate that, you know, whether you use give or get or not, you should always be on the on the lookout for great stories to tell. Oh, love that. Brian, Charlotte, it's been such a pleasure having you on. I love, I love this concept. I love the model. Uh, there's so much more in your book that we didn't cover because it's such a big book. It's like 340 pages or something like that. So I, I commend you on writing a great book. Um, where can people learn more about you guys, your book, anything that you want to point people to before we part ways? You can check us out on giveandget.net. You can learn more about you know Brian's background, my background, coming speaking opportunities, workshops, 
Um, you can find a link to the book on Amazon by searching Give and Get. You can pick up the Kindle for, I think, under $10, the Kindle version, and then the paperback is still selling pretty well. So you can find us, giveandget.net. Awesome. Thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon.